We're continuing in our preaching and teaching through the book of Genesis today. Last week, uh, Ryan finished chapter 30. Before that, uh, Dustin was in 29, 30. I'll ask you, have you ever, as we're doing this, as we're going through the book of Genesis and we're reading about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Has it really ever crossed your mind that we worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And have you ever considered how strange that might be? That, that here we are in America thousands of years later. Uh, of no, no connection whatsoever to these people except we worship the same God. We worship the God of Jacob. When we sing, when we sing today, we, we're singing to the God of Jacob. The psalmist says, I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. Sing aloud. Sing for joy, shout for joy to the God of Jacob. When we pray, we pray to the God of Jacob. Psalm 84 says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear, O God of Jacob. We worship the God of Jacob. This, this little man that we see here, this little cheater, Thousands of years ago, you have far more connections with this man than you could possibly imagine. You've, you've got more connections with this story that we're going to look at today than you could possibly imagine. Isaiah says that in the days to come, Jacob shall take root, and Israel shall blossom, and its shoots shall go forth and fill the whole world with fruit. You realize that that's you? That you are the product of that promise? The fulfillment of that text? And I hope today that you see maybe a little more of your connection to the God of Jacob. Father in heaven, we call upon your name as millions have for centuries. We call upon the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We call upon your name, asking you today, Lord, to show yourself to us. Reveal yourself through your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we need you to do that. We are blind without your help. We are deaf without your help. Lord, this word speaks of you, and it has everything to do with us and our salvation. As our brother prayed, you are the God of our salvation, and we praise your name. We praise your name, and we want to see more of it today. Lord, I pray that your words will come with power today. And I pray that your people would be built up, and I pray that those who do not know you will be called out of darkness today. 
pray that you would not judge them in their sin. Lord, I pray that you would have mercy on them in Christ today. Help me, Lord. Help me to exalt your name. For the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. Chapter 31 uh, in Genesis. It's a long chapter. We're just going to take chunks of it as we look at this this story. But I do want to remind you of the promise that Jacob received from God two chapters ago and 20 years ago from our text. When he met him at at Bethel and, and Jacob had this dream Jacob's ladder with the angels ascending and descending. And God told Jacob, he told this man right here 20 years ago, he told him, behold, I am with you. And I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. And guess what? Whatever God says, it's so. We see that right now. We see that promise becoming a reality. Look where Ryan left off at the end of chapter 30. And and notice what that last verse said. It says, thus the man, Jacob, it says, he increased greatly. He increased greatly and had large flocks. Female servants, male servants, camels, and donkeys. He's been 20 years removed from his land. He's been 20 years in exile. And he's labored seven years for Leah. Seven years for Rachel. And now six years for the flocks. You can see that in verse 40. He talks about this labor for 20 years. It's 20 years of hard labor. And 20 years of awesome, gracious providence from God. You remember this vow at Bethel. God said, uh, said I'm going to be with you. And Jacob said, well, you know what? If, if you'll give me bread to eat and clothes to wear, uh, you'll be my God. Guess what? This man's a caravan now. He got way more than he was asking for. God is so gracious. And now, after 20 years, it's time to go back home. It's time to go back home. And so, the text tells us that that Jacob has increased greatly. But I want you to see that this is a zero-sum game of sorts. As as Jacob increased, guess what? Laban increased. Is decreasing. Look at the very end of chapter 30. It says, verse 41, Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flocks that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So, and hear this, the, the feebler of the flock would be Laban's, and the stronger would be Jacob's. Thus, it says, thus the man Jacob increased greatly. Jacob's flocks and his family are increasing. Jacob's flocks, family, are decreasing. And they figure this out. You see the first verse in chapter 30. It says, Now the, uh, Jacob overheard the sons of Laban saying, 
Jacob has taken all that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth. There's this great divine transfer of wealth from Laban's house to Jacob's house, and Laban's house sees it. What do you think they felt about that? Mad, maybe? Maybe want this guy gone? We can see in verse 2 that uh, Jacob saw that Laban, and I'm sure the sons as well, did not favor him anymore. Verse 4, he tells his family, your father doesn't regard me like he used to. He doesn't favor me like he used to. Well, no wonder. His tank's going down. Your tank's going up. And there's this family consensus. Jacob's got to go. It's time for Jacob to go. It's time for Jacob to go. And you know what? That, this, pay attention. This is how the world works, by the way. This is how it's going to happen uh, in uh, broken marriages. This is how it's going to happen in the worldly world. This is how it's going to happen in the world of business. When, when they're through with you, when you're no longer a benefit, it's time to go. In this case, it really is time to go. Because God says, look at verse 3. The Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. When God says go, guess what? It's time to go. It's time to go. And he repeats this great promise from 20 years earlier. He says, I will be with you. I will be with you. So Jacob calls a family meeting. Right? It's time to go. Let's have a meeting. And so verse 4, Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where, the flock, where his flock was. And he said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. But the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore spotted. And if he said the striped shall be your wages, guess what? All the flocks bore stripes. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And so Jacob gives this speech and he testifies about the Lord. He testifies about Yahweh. He gives a testimony about the God of his father and he says, the God of my father has been with me. In this speech, if you'll notice, he, he makes these distinctions between Laban, his, daughter, his wife's father, and God, the God of his fathers. He says, Laban, your father, does not favor me, but the God of my father does. Laban, he's opposed me, but God has favored me. God is for me. He's opposed Laban. Laban tried to harm me. He meant everything for harm, but God meant everything for good. Laban is continually trying to take away from me, but God is steadily taking away from him and giving to me. 
you see this big transition in Jacob's heart but toward, towards God that, that you've not seen thus far. Claiming that this God has been with him the whole time. He did not, he's attributing everything to God. Everything has gotten to this point. Now he is attributing to God. This is far different from the man we saw running out of town 20 years ago. He says it's all of God. You know, and how does he know that? Because God showed him. And he tells his family about this vision. In verse 10, he says, In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob? And I said, Here am I. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that make with the, with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise and go. Go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. And so the Lord is basically telling him, has basically revealed to him, you see all those spotted sheep? I did that. The God of Bethel, that you met 20 years ago, I've been doing that. I saw what Laban has been doing and I acted. I promised and I delivered and now it's time to go home. Time to go home. And so we, we, we see all of these things coming together. We see Laban's family come to a consensus that Jacob's got to go. And then we see these wives Jacob's family, who, by the way, apparently never agreed on anything, now actually come to the consensus that it's time to go. Look in verse 14. It says, Rachel and Leah answered him together and said, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our Father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. And so you can see why they've come to this consensus about it's time to go. Because there's nothing left. There's nothing left here. There's no portion here. There's no inheritance Left here, there's no love here. Laban doesn't love, he doesn't love his own daughters. He's treated them as foreigners, it says. Not his family. He's treated them like property. He sold them. Literally, he sold them and spent all the proceeds. He has indeed devoured our money, they say. But they recognize that there's been a divine transfer of wealth brought about by God. God showing favor to them. Laban trying to take their inheritance all the while God has given them an inheritance. A greater inheritance than he could ever give. And so they say, now whatever God has said to you, let's do it. Let's do it. So they've come to this decision. They say, it's time to go. And I want you to see how obvious God is making this decision. 
How obvious it is that it's time to go. How obvious is it now, after 20 years, that now is the time to go? God has just greatly increased Jacob's wealth while plundering Laban. He has, he has lost all favor with Laban and his sons. They want him gone. Jacob's wives all agree it's time to go. And most importantly, God said, go. It's obviously time to go. So they go. They head out. Verse 17. Jacob arose and set his sons and wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he gained, the livestock and his possessions that he had acquired in Padam Aram, to go to the land of Canaan, to his father, Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. And so here we see Jacob gathering up future Israel and, and sending them toward the promised land. We see Jacob leading a whole host of captives free. All the sons and daughters of Jacob, soon to be Israel, all of his wives, all of his sheep, all headed towards Canaan, the promised land, all headed back home to his family, back to his father, Isaac. And they pass through a river, and he sets his face toward home. And this all is happening sort of secretly while Laban is three days away. Remember, he took the, his own sheep and separated them by three days' distance, and that's where he's at. Three days away, shearing sheep. And Rachel takes this opportunity to steal Laban's household gods. Verse 19. We see in verse 32 that Jacob doesn't know this, though. Jacob doesn't know this. And I think people are kind of torn on why she does this. Is she, is she an idol worshiper? Is she just being mean? I personally think that she's taking her inheritance. Imagine this little god or gods made of gold, maybe, or silver. And she, they've already admitted that, that Laban, their father, has devoured their money, so I think I'll just take this. Right? And I think she feels justified in doing that. He took all my money, I'll take his little silver statue. Well, that's sin. It, it, aren't we like that, though? We, we, we justify our sin. She thinks it's okay. She thinks this is fair to take this little God. But it's still sin. And Jacob doesn't know it, but this is, this is going to lead to trouble here in a minute. It says also that Jacob tricked Laban. And I want you to realize that that's sort of the same phrase there that, that literally means steal the heart. It's two words that steal the heart. He steals away from Laban. It steals away from the mind. And what that means is I think there's a play on words going on here that, uh, that he's sort of linking up with Jacob's, I mean, excuse me, Rachel's actual stealing 
with what he's doing in stealing away while Jacob's gone. He sort of steals away, sneaks off without it coming to Jacob's mind, without him discerning that, that they're gone. And it also it sort of is a play on words in that, that he's stealing Laban's heart as he leaves. Not the daughters, the stuff. The stuff. And ironically, this is where it's real ironic, is that he has really stolen nothing. But this is exactly what Laban's going to do, is he's going to accuse him of stealing everything. When in fact, he's stolen nothing. Verse 22. Laban hears about this. It says, when it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched their tents in the hill country of Gilead. And so you see here that, that it takes three days for the message to even reach Laban. And when he finds out, man, he's in hot pursuit. He gathers up all his boys, all of his kinsmen, it says, in hot pursuit after them. It's like a little band of Brothers, literally, this little army is coming after them. You believe they're mad? You believe Laban's mad? You believe the sons are mad? You believe they have a, an intention to harm? I think there's murder in their heart right here. Verse 29, it says, It is in my power to do you harm. But God said no. You see that? I believe Laban had every intention to bring harm, but God said no. God appeared to Laban personally and warns him. And without this, he probably would have killed Jacob. But God was with Jacob. God was with Jacob. He said, be careful, don't say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Good, don't entice him to come back. Bad, don't you threaten him or harm him. You just let it be. You let him walk. That's what God said. Laban's got a plan. He's in hot pursuit. He's going to maybe kill him, take him back, persuade him. Whichever one works, God stops the plan. Laban opposes God. God opposes Laban. Guess who wins? God is for Jacob. God is with him. When Laban shows up, he begins to make these accusations. Verse 26, he says, what have you done? What have you done that you've tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? Speaking of lyre. And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night and said, Be careful. And now you've gone away. 
because you've longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob, the chief of cheats from Canaan, is now accused by Laban. How ironic is that? And Laban accuses Jacob of stealing his daughters by force, by stealing an opportunity to bless them, you know, to send them off in a party. I can imagine that when he says that, everybody probably went, really? He doesn't even realize how foolish he sounds. He says, you stole an opportunity for me to bid farewell, and you stole my gods. Who steals a brother's gods? Verse 30, why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered to Laban, because I was afraid. For I thought you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Jacob did not know that Rachel had actually stolen the gods. And so I want you to think about this. This is a real threat. This is a real threat here. Laban, as he says, he does have the power to harm them. And really, he has the right. Thou shalt not steal. And Jacob is really and rightly afraid. And the promised land, this trip back to the promised land is really threatened. And the promised seed, Jacob, Judah, is really threatened here. This is a real threat, but I want you to know this is not a real threat. It may seem like a real threat, but it's not a threat. Even though there's real danger here, there's really no danger here. Why? Because God is with him. God is with him. And he always has been. And so with that permission, guess what Laban starts to do? He starts scurrying around, searching for his little gods. Verse 33, it says, So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. And now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle, and sat on them. And Laban felt all about the tent, but he did not find them. And she said to her father, let, my Lord, uh, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of the woman is upon me. And so Laban searched, but he did not find the household gods. And so here we see Laban searching high and low for his little G gods. It says he searched, but he didn't find them. Poor little gods. They can't, they can't be found by their master, servant. I don't, I don't even know what to call this relationship. You, you realize that this is, by the way, this is written by God. This is meant to be mocking. This is meant to be mocking. He says, why did you steal my gods? I want you to think about that for a second. What kind of gods can be stolen? And what kind of gods need you to rescue them 
And guess what? They're not, new, they're not rescued. They're neutralized, and they are put to open shame. God is showing here how worthless these things are, that they are in need of saving. They are helpless. They are so helpless they've been stuffed in a camel saddle and a girl sitting on top of them, holding them down. They're not going anywhere. And they're unclean. You see that? They're defiled. God did that. They're defiled underneath Rachel. And God has once again deceived the seed of the serpent by the woman. He turned Genesis 3 on his head one more time. A pattern that just continues all throughout the Bible. God laughing at his enemies and making a mockery of these foolish things we call God. Laban's false gods have not helped him for the last 20 years and they can't even help themselves get out from underneath Rachel. And and Jacob just unknowingly carries them off with the rest of Laban's stuff. At this point... Jacob's mad. Jake, Jacob's been patient. How long is have you you realize how long Jacob's been patient? Not twenty minutes. Twenty years. Thirty six. It says then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, "What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me?" For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Where's your stuff? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us. These, listen, these 20 years, these 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you, which I had every right to do. I bore the loss myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By the day the heat consumed me and the cold by night. My my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I have been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock. And you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. But you know what? God saw my affliction, the labor of my hands, and he rebuked you last night. You see him fed up? He says, what is my sin? Did I steal your gods? No. Did I steal any of your stuff? No. Did I steal your flocks? No. Did I steal your daughters? No. Your accusations are false. You are a liar just like your father. The devil. For 20 years I've been your slave. 
For 20 years I've served you faithfully. For 20 years I've served you prosperously, tirelessly. And you call me a thief? You're the thief. You're the thief. You've changed my wages ten times. You would have, you would have sent me away empty-handed. But for God, who's been on my side this whole time, he saw my affliction and he rebuked me. You're a liar and a thief, but Yahweh is on my side. Do you see that? The Lord, my God, is on my side. God is with me. Now, look at now. He's been fully, firmly rebuked by Jacob. And he's stunned, I think. I think he's stunned. I think this is the first time it's ever happened quite like this. Look how he responds in verse 43. This, and I just want you to imagine... The, the, the spectacle of him saying this. It says, Laban answered and said to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all you see is mine. But what can I do? What can I do? What can I do this day for these, my daughters, or for their children whom they have born? What? It sounds like Laban has lost touch with reality. I hope he doesn't really believe what just came out of his mouth. These are not his daughters. These are Jacob's wives. Has he not read Genesis 1? She'll leave your father and mother and hold fast to your wife and they shall become one flesh. And, and on top of that, Jacob bought these wives. Paid in full seven years of hard labor under this man. These are not Laban's daughters. These are Jacob's wives twice over. These are not Laban's children. These are Jacob's children. These are most certainly not Laban's flocks. These are Jacob's flocks. None of what he sees is his. None. It's Jacob's. Where did it come from? God gave it to him. And this is where Laban is most deceived. He is most deceived. Because he has had, he has had an encounter with the one true and living God. And he's going to walk away empty-handed and unrepentant. Yahweh has proven to all involved here that he is the one true and living God. Laban's idols have been proven to be worthless. He can't even find them. Yet he swears by these same idols in verse 53. And this one true God has proven to be for Jacob and against him. And, and, and he, it's proven right in front of them that every accusation he's just made against Jacob is actually true about himself. Laban has been exposed right here as a covetous lying, unloving, self-centered idolatry. And, and if there's ever been in a, life, a point in his life where it's more evidence right now, but here's the question, is he repentant? No. He is absolutely blind, delusional, deceived. He, and, he, and he's like Adam and Eve, pointing the finger at everybody else. Everybody's done him wrong. 
He thinks everybody's done him wrong. I want you to understand what really is going on here is he's cursed by God. He's cursed by God. Remember the blessing that Jacob's received? Cursed be everyone who curses you. Laban has been a curse to Jacob. And now Laban is cursed of God. And there is nothing he can do about it but walk away. He has been plundered and now he's lost. Plundered and lost. Never to be heard from again. And all of a sudden he wants to make a covenant with Jacob. Come now, verse 44. Let us make a covenant together, you and I. And let it be a witness between you and me. So, so Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, go gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. I can't pronounce any of these names, so just skip them. Uh, Laban called uh, Jager Sadahuth. That's uh, Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Galid and Mizpah. For he said, the Lord watch between you and me when we were out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives beside my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is a witness between you and me. And then Laban said to Jacob, see this heap and pillar which I have set between you and me? This heap is a witness and a pillar is a witness and that I will not pass over this heap to you. And you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. And they ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. This is kind of weird. You've got to ask, why is this going on? Why is this covenant here? Why is all of a sudden Laban wanting to make a covenant here? Because he's scared. Maybe for the first time, this man is afraid of Jacob. Why is he afraid of Jacob? Because God is on his side. Because God is with him. And now, this man who the one true God is with, this man is heading back to his kinsman, back to his kinsman. Laban came with his kinsman and got stopped by Jacob's God. And now, Jacob's God is with him as he goes back to his kinsman. Maybe he's going to bring back some of his boys for revenge. Laban doesn't ever want to see Jacob again. And guess what? The feeling's mutual. Jacob doesn't ever want to see Laban again. This is a, this is a no-pass covenant. You stay over there, I'll stay over here. It looks like a restraining order. Right? I will not pass over to you, you will not pass over to me. You know what's funny about this? I wasn't going to bring this up. but uh, You ever heard of Mizpah jewelry? Anybody ever heard of that? Supposedly it's this jewelry that has two pieces. Like you have one piece and I have one piece, and it's to remind us uh, of the love we have for one another while we're apart. It comes from this. I don't want to see where they get that from. 
So if you and a friend or a relative, you've got those things, maybe you should rethink that covenant. <laughs> or maybe that's why you don't see each other anymore, because it's being upheld. But see, Laban, uh, here he, he, he makes this covenant, and he sort of covers up the real reason by, by faking some sort of concern for his daughters, which we see 20 years of history, that that's not true. And, and, and Laban tries to get Jacob to swear by the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor. But he doesn't. He swears only by the fear of his father, Isaac, Yahweh, the one true and living God. And you see that Jacob offers a sacrifice. Maybe the first time he's ever offered a sacrifice, at least in Scripture, I think, as an act of worship to his God. And they eat a meal together. It sort of signifies that they sit down together and there's no more hostility between us as we go our separate ways and they never see each other again. And with that, Jacob is forever free from Laban. Forever free from Laban. This Laban, you shall never see again. It says, verse 55, it says, Early in the morning Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. And Laban departed. And returned home. And the next chapter, first verse, it says, And Jacob went his own way, right? He went his way. And guess what? The angels of God met him. What an awesome moment that first verse is. The angels of God met him. What an awesome conclusion this is of 20 years of affliction. What an awesome story of God's faithfulness to Jacob, even when he was unaware of it. And you know what, what's happening right here is we see this awesome visible manifestation of what God had promised back in Bethel, you know, with the angels ascending and descending. You see this awesome, visible unveiling of the reality that's been going on for the last 20 years. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, is with him. And he is the God of Jacob. The God of Jacob. Now, what, what do we learn here? A few things about what we see here. I want you to really see that this is not just a story, not just a historical account of this little man named Jacob, but this is a revelation of not just Jacob, but the God of Jacob. And this is a sermon not about Jacob, but this is a sermon about the God of Jacob. Because that's what we need to see here. What do we learn about the God of Jacob? I don't want you to go out of here learning a bunch of stuff about Jacob. I want you to go out of here learning a bunch of stuff about the God of Jacob. The God of Jacob authors history. He authors history. He writes it. And yes, I intentionally misspelled that for those of you that... Because it's his story. I want you to see that he's the author of his story. I've said this many times, maybe not here, but many times before God writes, he writes stories a different way. We write with pen and paper or typewriter or computer. He writes with history. The God of Jacob writes with a pen of anthropology. He orchestrates history to tell a story. 
This is part of God's glory to, to weave together an intricate story in human history all while picturing and performing His purposes. I started to title this sermon before I really studied even more. I started to title this sermon Jacob's Exodus because that's exactly what this is. Jacob's Exodus. And, and Ryan and Dustin both have pointed out the similarities. We, we've seen many similarities of the life of the patriarchs with the actual exodus of Israel that comes later. But I'm telling you, man, there's nowhere more clear than right here in this chapter. I think, I think somebody actually used the word recapitulation in, from this pulpit before. Well, I made up a word, which I do a lot. This is a pre-capitulation. The pre-capitulation of the, the exodus. Man, I want you to see the staggering parallels. And I'm just going to hit them for you and then we're going to move on. We got G, J, Jacob leaves the promised land. Israel leaves the promised land. They go to Egypt. Jacob meets God in the wilderness. Sees the, the latter vision. Moses meets God in the wilderness. Sees a burning bush. Jacob is enslaved and afflicted by Laban. Israel is enslaved and afflicted by Pharaoh. Jacob loses favor with Laban. Israel loses favor with Pharaoh. God sees Jacob's affliction and acts. God sees Israel's affliction and acts. God multiplies Jacob while he's enslaved. God multiplies Israel while they are enslaved. Jacob prospers his oppressor, Laban. Israel and Joseph prosper Pharaoh. Their oppressor. Jacob demands that Laban lets him go. Moses demands that Pharaoh let Israel go. Laban is totally untrustworthy. Pharaoh proves to be totally untrustworthy. Laban changes his mind or refuses to let him go at least ten times. Pharaoh does the same thing. God shows his power over nature in Jacob. He definitely shows his power over nature. Nature in the plagues of Egypt. The sons of Laban say Jacob ruined them. The servants of Pharaoh say Moses ruined us. Jacob plunders Laban and goes out rich. Israel plunders Egypt and goes out rich. Rachel holds on to Laban's gods. Israel holds on to Egypt's gods. Laban pursues Jacob. Pharaoh pursues Israel. Jacob passes through a river and heads to the land. Israel passes through the Red Sea and heads to the land. Laban catches up, counts beside Jacob. Pharaoh catches up, counts beside Israel. Laban opposes God and loses big time. Pharaoh opposes God and really loses big time. And Jacob's enemy will never be seen again. And Israel's enemy, Egypt, will never be seen again. God authors History, he's doing this on purpose. And something else that we see here is God of Jacob is the one true and living God. See, nobody, no, only the true God could author history. And there's none like him. There's none like God. And God proves that over and over again. And it shows when his hatred of idolatry, what's the first commandment? Don't have any other gods before me. Idolatry is a lie. There's a lie in your hand. Idolatry is of the devil. And whether it's Laban's false god or Egypt's false gods or Israel running after all the nation's false gods or the little g god of this world, Yahweh mocks them all. 
He proves the lie in your hand. He shows them all to be worthless, nothing before Him, powerless, unclean, defiled, and an abomination. He puts them to open shame. God. The God of Jacob is the one true and living God. And this, this putting false gods to open shame has no more spectacular of a display than at the cross of Christ. Where he says, God forgave us of all our transgressions by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. And guess what else he did? He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame triumphing over them in Christ. The God of Jacob is the one true and living God, and the God of Jacob judges. He justly judges his enemies. God, see, I hope you see, God judged Laban. You know, it was Jacob's grandfather who, speaking to Yahweh, said, Shall not the judge of the earth do what is right? It's been said by more than one person that that could be the most fearful statement in the Bible. That a holy and righteous God might actually do right. Which is bad news for sinners. It's bad news for God's enemies. It's bad news for those who oppose God. And Laban opposed God and he gets exactly what he deserved. Who in here wants exactly what they deserve from God? I don't. How many commandments did he break? Idolatry, murder in his heart, lying, stealing, covetousness. Laban is cursed by God. Isn't it ironic when he says in verse 53, may the God of Abraham judge between us. He already has, my friend. He already has. Laban is blinded by his sin. He's blinded to his sin. He's blinded to the glory of God. This man met God. Some of you right now are here. And you do not know God. You do not know Christ. And you know you don't. I'm here to tell you, you're, this, you're just like Laban. You're this close to God. You're hearing about the glorious God of Jacob. And you perhaps could care less. And you perhaps will walk away empty-handed and judged by God, seeing no glory here. You see any glory here? He's lost. He, he, he's uncaring. He's totally self-centered. He's totally self-seeking. And he's an enemy of God. He is lost and cut off. God's judged him, and God will judge the world. You hear that without Jesus Christ, you, my friend, without Jesus Christ, you are just like Laban. Totally blind to your sin. Totally blinded by your sin. You're a lawbreaker. Just like every other enemy in Scripture, you're, you're set right now to be cut down like Laban. God will judge us. This is what awaits all sinners. Judgment by God. God will judge the world in righteousness. Remember what Paul tells the idolaters in Athens? 
the times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now He commands everyone, everywhere, to repent. Because He has appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man. He's given us proof of that by raising that man from the dead. The soul that sins shall surely die. The soul that sins will get exactly what he deserves. And if you are here today and you are not in Jesus Christ, this is you. If you are not an obedient, faithful follower of Jesus Christ, this is you. The judgment of God sits on you right now. The wrath of God remains on you. This is what John says. Those who do not obey His Son do not have life. They will not see life. But guess what? The wrath of God remains on them. But I'm telling you, listen, there's, listen, there's good, really good news. You're at the right place today. You're like Laban now. You've, got, you've, you've had an encounter. You've heard from God. Don't do like Laban. Don't walk away. Because there's good news here. This same God of Jacob who judges his enemies justifies the ungodly. The same God justifies the ungodly. This is really good news for sinners. If you are here and you are ungodly, guess what? God can justify you. God will justify you. Abraham knew this. When Paul writes the great chapter in Romans 4 about justification by faith, he points to Abraham who believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed in the one who does what? Justifies the ungodly. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, my friend, justifies the ungodly. Abraham knew it. Man does Jacob know it. Why? Because God justified him. Man, I want you to see that. Remember how ungodly Jacob was? Remember how ungodly he was? His whole name tells the story. He's a cheat and a liar and a deceiver, just like his mother, just like his uncle Laban. There's no difference between them except for the grace of God. Man, this story just shows how ungodly he was. But guess what? Jacob did not get what he deserved. Instead, he got what? That scandalous grace. Dustin talked about the other day. Amazing grace. That's what he got. Amazing grace. God justified Jacob. You realize what, what you see this picture that's going on here? Jacob has served Laban faithfully. And Laban brings all these accusations and none of them stick. None of them. The accuser accuses and goes away with his mouth silenced. He says, what is my offense? What is my sin? And he stands justified before his accuser. You see that? Now, don't get me wrong, Jacob's not sinless, but in his dealings with Laban, God, by his grace and providence, has, has made him justified before Laban. What a picture that is. What a picture. The God of Jacob justifies the ungodly, and He does the same for us. We are the ungodly ones. We are the ungodly ones. We're like Jacob. We're like Laban. 
We're like Adam. We're, we're all in the same boat. We're all dead in trespasses and sin. But guess what? God justifies the ungodly. And He does it in a just way. He is just and the justifier of the ungodly. He is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. How many verses could we point to here? How many verses? Boy, what, what beautiful information we have that he didn't have. Jacob may have been sinless in his dealings with Laban, but guess what? There's a greater son of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David, that really was sinless in all things. The sinless one who lived perfectly righteous, not in just the dealings with one man, but in all things, in all points of the law. He fulfilled the law completely. Why? For you. Because you haven't. This is how God can be just in justifying you. He takes Christ's righteousness and gives it to you. And that's not all. He takes your ungodliness on himself. He bears your sins in his body. That's what happened on that tree. 2,000 years ago, every sin you would ever maliciously conceive was painfully bore in the body of the Son of God so that he might rightly judge the sinner and declare the ungodly righteous. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. So that you might be the righteousness of God. What an awesome news for sinners. What an awesome thought to be able to stand before God and say, what is my offense? What is my sin? There's none. Why? Because I know this one right here. God, the God of Jacob justifies the ungodly and he transforms the ungodly. You see that, I hope. You see how he has transformed Jacob? You see how he's gone from this lying, cheating, stealer to this worshiper of God? Not, not, not just knowing about the God of his fathers, but actually attributing all things to the sovereign grace of his fathers. He's been transformed. God transforms the ungodly and he transforms us. Look at all the texts that say that. We have a better destiny Better promises, better covenant, destined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. God in you, willing and working, being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. The God of Jacob transforms the ungodly. You remember all the different places where Paul list these huge categories of sin, sexual immorality, drunkenness, covetousness, so on and so on. And he says those that do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then that little phrase that says, and such were some of you. Is that you? Can you say, man, God has transformed this ungodly one. He continues to transform this ungodly one. Such were some of you. Praise God for that. Man, there's so many things here. <laughs> he works all things together for good. 
I hope you see that in Jacob's life. He's worked everything together, even the hard times, the struggling, the persecution, the enslavement. All these things have worked together for good, and here he is. Man, and we have much greater promises that God, this same God, is working all things together for our good. Don't get caught up in your 20 years of affliction here. Don't get caught up in it. It's all working together for your eternal good and God's eternal glory. Two, two more things I want you to say. God always leads. The God of Jacob always leads his people. This is what, what's going on. Ever since, ever since Jacob was born, God has been leading this man. Whether he knew it or not. And it became obvious to him when it was time to go. He had these promises from God. He had all this providence that had worked together. And then he had this command to go. But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, you have promises. And you have a command to go. Jesus says, go. Right? Go to all nations. He says, I will be with you. You hear that command? You hear that promise? Now here's the question. There's some of you in here that it's obviously time to go. Is God working that in your life right now? Is He, is he leading you? Where, what is He leading you to do? Where is He leading you to go? You hear the promises. You, you hear the command. Is the providence now lined up? Sometimes it's obvious that it's not time to go. Sometimes it's obvious that it is time to go. Some of you need to go. Why don't you just think about how this works, how this is working right now at this moment today. Right now at this moment today, God is leading His people. We have Lydia and Ryan in Iraq singing songs with people from all over the world in maybe the only healthy church in Iraq. Right now, today, we've got Paul Sanduliak in Moldova possibly preaching God's Word. We've got Pete and Taylor moving tomorrow in a new season of their life in Atlanta. We've got Matt Coleman flying out today to Southeast Asia, some undisclosed uh, location in Southeast Asia to be a missionary for the summer. God always leads His people. What about you? What about you? Don't fear, because God is with you. That's the promise. God is with you. And if there's, if there's any doctrine that comes out of this, I want you to see that the God of Jacob is Emmanuel. God with us. God is with us. The Abraham, the God of Abraham and Isaac was with Jacob always. God of Jacob is with us. But you know, Matthew 1 says, the virgin conceived and bore a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. You realize that the God of Jacob became flesh and dwelt among us. The God of Jacob is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God of Jacob is the God of Grace Community Church. And He is with us. He is with us, you and me. He has revealed Himself to us just like He did Jacob. He has justified us just like He did Jacob. He is transformed and transforming us just like He did Jacob. And He has worked all things together in Jacob's life just like He He's going to do in ours. And he's leading. 
He's leading us just like he did him. The God of Jacob is our God. Isn't that good news? The God of Jacob is our God, and he is with us always and forever, even to the end of the age. Blessed be he whose help is the God of Jacob. I hope you're blessed today. Let's pray. Father, we praise your holy name. Through the corridors of time, you have done all these things to reveal your steadfast love, your steadfast purposes, your desire to redeem a people and to justify the ungodly. Lord, we raise our hand and that's us. We trust in Jesus for that justification. Thank you for the forgiveness that's in Christ. We forgive. Thank you for the forgiveness that you've shown us in these stories from Genesis to Revelation. You are a God who redeems and forgives and shows mercy to those who repent and call upon the name of the Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that the God of Jacob is our help and our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.